Welcome everyone to another edition of Name Two Bands with Andy and Andy. My name is Andy Brown. With me as usual, Andy Sanford. Andy Sanford. How are you? Uh, getting over a little head cold thing. Yeah, me too. We're recording a day <laughs> late as I was sick as a dog yesterday, so feeling a little yeah, better but on today. The, um, Sudafed Robitussin diet. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it's a little too close to call at the moment. Um, however, it does look like uh, uh, Connor Lamb, the Democrat, has won the special election in a Pennsylvania district that went to Donald Trump by 20 points. That's your other podcast. You're confused. <laughs> This is this is Go breaking ahead. news, man. Uh, oh, so, okay. uh, yeah, sleep tight, Republicans everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you're in a bad way in November. I don't um, know. Are there any Republicans that listen to this show? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Uh, I'm just excited, <laughs> that's all. Of course, that is my uh, other big fashion. Um, but, of course, this is a music podcast. However, before we get into the music... Um, what do you say we talk about a little bit of football? Okay, what's going on with football? I've been in, I've been in total baseball mode. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it is spring training. Um, so uh, Sam Bradford uh, apparently agreed to a deal with Arizona to be their starting quarterback, and then Case Keenum is headed to the Denver Broncos to be their starting quarterback, and then today Minnesota needing a new quarterback. Agreed to a three-year deal uh, with Kirk Cousins, um, worth, I believe, I want to say, sixty-four million dollars, and all of it is guaranteed, every single penny of it, which of course is uh, very unusual. Um, and Joe Theismann yeah. was uh, talking; he was asked about it on the radio today, and this is his quote: uh, "Make sure you listen closely." Uh, Kirk's deal is what it is. It played out the way he wanted it to. He's at a football team that wants him. It's not that the Redskins didn't want him, but I think it would have been a big nut to swallow. <laughs> it's an unfortunate okay, mixed, Joe. It's an unfortunate mixed uh, metaphor. Uh, yeah, like he was going for a tough nut to crack, right? I think so. Yeah, or uh, <laughs> um, a hard pill to swallow. just got finished watching some... Some what was it? What was it? I'm sorry. What was the other one? Hard. What was the other one? He mixed up. A uh, tough pill to swallow. Oh yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he mixed the oh, idioms. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> like you were. I think you were about to be say a tough he was probably. Nut to swallow. He probably just got done uh, watching some porn. I think. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, um, the Seattle Seahawks, of course, my favorite team. Um, it already looked like, uh, Cliff Averill and, uh, Cam Chancellor, they both have serious neck injuries. They're probably, um, done. And, uh, this week they traded Michael Bennett to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, he is their best defensive lineman. So, uh, and what was interesting about that is, uh, this MSNBC, uh, talking head named Joy Reid, um, she said it was uh, horrible that uh, the Seahawks would trade Michael Bennett for his outspoken views on Black Lives Matter. 
and that it was shameful that the NFL had allowed it to happen. Um, so a couple things. First of all, uh, the Seattle Seahawks and head coach Pete Carroll in particular have been very much supportive of all of their players speaking out um, on political issues, and the Seahawks players um, do that very openly. Um, secondly, um, he's old, he has a high cap number, um, and the Seahawks window is closed, so it's obviously very much a football decision. And lastly, the NFL should have stepped in and stopped the Seahawks from trading an outspoken black man to the fucking Super Bowl champions. Uh, um, and then also this week, uh, the Seattle Seahawks also cut um, Richard Sherman, and he then signed with uh, the 49ers. And he may have signed with our biggest rivals, but he's still my uh, favorite football player of all time. Uh, he had the uh, best post-game interview of all time, I would say. L-O-B. Yeah, probably. Um, and Although I was a big fan of um, Tom Brady's post-game. Yeah, last year. that one was pretty good, too. <laughs> Fucking unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and then he also uh, dominated uh, Skip Bayless on live television. So, um, I love you, Richard Sherman. I thought that was amusing. Yeah, I'll still be rooting for you, buddy, even though you are playing for the 49ers now. Um, but that was about it. Um, I mean, you can root for the 49ers because they're not a threat to do anything, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Garoppolo looks like he might to win be the more real than deal. Games. So, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but uh, unless there's something you want to add about baseball, we should probably get to the music. Um, I don't think there was uh, anything that... Well, Arietta I mean, you know. Yeah, Arietta sign. Baseball. Yeah. Regular old baseball news. Yeah, yeah. He's a Philly now. Um, anyway, um, I guess let's get to the music. <laughs> and Lance Lynn uh, is a twin. We'll go ahead and uh, let you go first this week. Um, I assigned you uh, Animal Collective. Oh, my review. Hold on. i got to find my notes. All right. I made notes. Okay, so you want my review of the Animal Collective Meriwether Post Pavilion album. Correct. Correct? Correct. Okay, so it, it was pretty much uh, as I recalled from my five-minute impression of Animal Collective ten years ago when I listened to them, if I even spent five minutes with it ten years ago. Yeah. So I was you know, kind of curious to like actually go through a full album, but... My opinion is basically the same. <laughs> it's 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 cool. It's trippy. It's weird, and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, you know, for me, it just it's it 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 goes colors a little too far outside of the lines for my tastes. Yeah. And I get why people dig it, and I I get why you want to like go that weird with your music, but it's just it's just it need, it doesn't have a um like a uh a spine a, to it a, 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 yeah it doesn't have a bedrock to it you know like if they were like building all that stuff off just like some like basic kraut rock bass and drum grooves yeah it would do so much more for me you know but it's just i don't know it's it's a little too much at some point during the album i started to feel kind of dizzy whoa <laughs> <laughs> so, it was just you know it was just 
<laughs> I did uh, my. There was a couple s- songs that I did like that did stand out from me. I did I enjoy uh, "Summertime Clothes." Yeah, and I liked uh, "Bluish" and "Lying in a Coma." Those were the three that kind of, you know, something in it did grab my ear. And it was like, okay, that's I like that. That's cool. Gotcha. But most of it was just just way too much for me. A little too ambient. And I and I like weird odd stuff but it just needs to have kind of a a foundation in my normal thing you know yeah that makes sense um and i was mostly just curious what you would think um i didn't necessarily expect you would like it um and you're not saying <laughs> it's you're not saying it's bad just not your thing oh no no it's just not not for me yeah that makes sense i'm not uh real super suppressed honestly um <laughs> and you gave me uh, not one, but two albums. Uh, I gave you a choice, and I hoped I hoped you would check out both. You know, and I did, I did, I checked them both out. Sweet, and I have reviews for both of them. Although uh, the first one, uh, CA Quintet, uh, Trip Through Hell, that's a very short review. Um, yeah. <laughs> Basically, it shit was... sandwich. No, 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 no. Uh, I didn't think it was bad. Um, I did think it was. Uh, it was a little bit like jammy um, and samey for my taste. Um, yeah, yeah, but, I hear that. But some of the jams were like really pretty good. Um, and like underground music, and that's like a particularly good track I thought um, with some nifty guitar. Um, yeah. And I guess I guess I would just say that uh, it was good for what it was. Um, and I did notice when I listened to it that my brain kind of shut off, you know, and just kind of grooved, which is always good. Right. Um, but it didn't really get its uh, hooks too far into me. Um, that... Go ahead. So I would say I'd, I'd give it a three out of five. That's basically That's what cool. I would say. For, for me, that, that album, it was, it's just it's um, just being like so far underground and then it was like, 15 years after it came out before it even started getting any kind of recognition outside of a small part of Minnesota. Yeah, that's very cool. And um, That is very cool. And the fact that, you know, for being something that was basically just totally unknown, it's really, I mean, it's on par with some pretty big psychedelic stuff from that time period, you know? Yeah. And in fact, in a way, it it does things that I've really never heard in any other album. I mean, that that, that guitar, those guitar fuzz freakouts. Yeah. I mean, the only person doing anything like that was Jimi Hendrix. Yep. And this is like kind of a, this is different. This is more of like a raw punk version of what Jimi Hendrix was doing, you know? Yeah, and this is before even uh, Velvet Underground, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, And I thought, you know, I thought maybe... It would have enough in common with like Sid era Floyd that you might you know kind of get into it on that level, but I you know I could see it does. I I remember now you don't like too much extended jam type stuff, and it does kind of go yeah. that way a bit. Yeah, I mean it. It depends. It depends. Sometimes I like it, and sometimes I hate right. it. Like I, like if it's like the Grateful Dead style stuff where it's just the same I'm not going to give you any again, widespread you know? panic triple live album okay. to review. Don't worry. <laughs> No fish, hopefully. Uh, oh, God, no. <laughs> um, I thought th- what you were just talking about, though, um, kind of reminded me. Did you ever see uh, that documentary about the band Death? Oh, the, uh, the, the Detroit punk band from the 70s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, it's kind of a. I was actually familiar. Thing. I was actually familiar with that album before that documentary, so that was like cool for me to learn more about an album that I dug. You know. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of the same thing. Way ahead of its time, um, like hardly anybody heard about it until like yeah. years after its release. Um, so, and the and other that's a album, great story too. Yeah, for sure, it was a very good story, and I would. Um, I think it's called. Um, like, I don't remember what it's called. But anyway, called you either. guys, guys should check out that. So Death um, punk band Detroit. That'll you'll find yes. it. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix, or at least it used to be. Um, and it's the findable. other album you gave me um, was by the Millennium, and the album title was Begin. And I liked this yeah. one a lot more. Um, yeah, it was like pure multi-track late 60s pop goodness um and everything that you would imagine from that um very much similar i would say to like odyssey and oracle um different but similar um and on that same kind of wavelength yeah yeah um and so i read that it was actually the second album ever that used a 16 track um Simon, right, it was a uh, was Simon it and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like that, and then like as you said last week, the amount of money that they spent on it um, that definitely shows. <laughs> uh, it's lush as hell, um, production yeah. wise. Uh, like and, full orchestras on everything. Yep, yeah, and like layered harmonies, and yeah, it's great. Um, in particular, let's see. Um, to Claudia on Thursday, uh, that had a great oh, tune, yeah. um, great harmonies and backing vocals, um, and it used uh, simulated monkey sounds as part of the rhythm <laughs> section for large portions of the song, um, and that was cool. Um, I'm With You, was a, that was a really great song, um, and I can swear that I've heard either the song somewhere or like maybe just the... like. Uh, part. It, I I know what you're talking about. It sounds like it sounds like ah uh, like a fucking airline commercial from the early '70s or something. I don't know. <laughs> something, yeah. Like like I don't know. Either I've heard that song in something, which kind of seems unlikely, or that's been sampled somewhere, which is probably more likely. Yeah, that may be possible. Um, yeah, but I I couldn't pin it down, and uh, I googled it and couldn't find anything. Um. A, I really liked uh, the song "The Island," um, and basically, yeah, cool. it's just a really pleasant song to listen to. Um, <laughs> and uh, "It's You" is, of course, that's just a fucking banger. Uh, basically, kind of does uh, "Big Star" before "Big Star." Um, yeah, yeah. The one long song uh, at almost karmic six dream sequence. Yep, and that was kind of like uh, I thought sounded to me like a, a little bit like a Led Zeppelin ballot. Um, yeah, ballad. I thought, I thought it, sounds like, it sounds like Led Zeppelin 4 five years before Led Zeppelin 4 came out. <laughs> yeah, a little, little chiller and poppier, um, but, yeah. um, and it even has a, a very prominent and active uh, drum track in the last couple minutes. It's not quite a solo, but um, the, no, they let the drummer yeah. kind of go wild, um, which also is like Led Zeppelin. Um, and then I thought, uh, there is nothing more to say was really clever. Uh, it was meta kind of before meta was a thing. Um, it was right. 
It has callbacks. Yep. And it's super psychedelic, slick, um, just all around awesome. And then, of course, Anthem, uh, parentheses, Begin. That's a wild-ass track. Oh, that's track the one with the callbacks. And it. Um, so I thought, yeah, the entire thing was great from start to finish. I loved it. Um, most of the 14 tracks are really short, um, so they don't overstay their welcome. They just get, get in and then get out. Um, and you hear all kinds of pop stuff on there that was very unique, I'd say, for the time, um, but that later came just completely standard. Like um, yep. like I, I already mentioned Led Zeppelin and uh, Big Star, and I don't mean this as a diss. Like, I mean it... Um, as a compliment, you could all also hear like kind of that late seventies, early eighties kind of corporate rock kind of stuff like journey in Chicago and sure. um, that you can hear some of that in there. Um, so it was definitely, uh, way ahead of its time. And some of it is a little dated. Um, but for the most part, not that much. Um, it sounds pretty modern even now. Um, so I give that one a five out of five and is definitely my favorite of the ones you've given me so far. So yeah, that's well a great done. album. <laughs> um, so, uh, who do you have for me this week? So I, I've, I've, I guess I've kind of gotten into a rhythm here of something old, something new, something old, something new. So since we did yeah, 68 well last week, I have something uh, from 2007 for you this week. Okay. And this is the um, second album by the Vancouver band Black Mountain. And the album is called In the Future. Yeah, and I've heard of Black Mountain. Um, I have not heard them, so I'll be interested to check that out. It's Um, just, uh, it's good, well-crafted, heavy guitar rock and roll. With both a uh, male and female front. Cool. And uh, so, yeah, and it, I, I fell in love with them with their first album, and they've put out uh, four albums so far. And I saw them live, and they totally amazing live. And um, but this is probably still their my favorite of their four albums. The second one. This is the one where I was like, okay, shit, these guys are. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm loyal right. to these guys gotcha. forever <laughs> <laughs> all right cool yeah i'll look forward to that one um, yeah it's good stuff and this one the one i'm giving you this week uh this is a little bit of a hail mary here because i know you're not the uh biggest blur fan um <laughs> although i can't remember did you like gorillas or not um i like some of the songs i mean um that first, the first one I heard while I was in Amsterdam, so I'll always yeah, love that because yeah, it'll just take me back to Amsterdam. <laughs> and then uh, that was the uh, "Sunshine in the Bag," whatever that yeah, one yeah, is. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, so I liked I liked the singles and I liked a handful of songs what I heard, but I never like got super into it. Yeah, me neither. Actually, um, there's never been a um, Gorillaz album I've especially gotten into. Um, right. But so this is. Uh, it's called The Good, The Bad, and The Queen. Um, and that's the band and the album. Um, and right. it was basically a, a super group, um, one-off, uh, by, as I said, um, David Albarn of Blur and Gorillaz, among other things. Um, and the bass player is Paul Simonon, 
who uh, people might recognize. He was in this little band called The Clash. Um, <laughs> and their guitarist and keyboardist was uh, Simon Tong of The Verve. Um, most people will know them for uh, Bittersweet Symphony. Um, that Rolling Stone song? Yep. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> Um, no, there's no supposed about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also Afrobeat and Afro-funk drummer Tony Allen. Um, and the whole thing was produced by uh, Goddamn Danger Mouse. Uh, and okay, cool. This came out in uh, 2007. Um, ostensibly, it was about London in the aughts. Um, but... What comes across the most uh, is like a real weariness about uh, Bush and Blair um, and the Iraq War and the whole politics of that decade, because, of course, that decade was fucking depressing as hell. Um, and, like, I'm not sure what you're going to think about it, but uh, I like it um, about as much as anything that Damon Albarn has ever done, um, including right. The Great Escape and Park Life. So, uh, okay. So we'll see what you think anyway. I'll give it a spin. Interesting that we, uh, both picked albums from 2007. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, um, that done, uh, this week, of course, we're doing Bob Dylan and David Bowie. Um, all right. All right. Uh, Yes. So, uh, when we did the uh, Metallica and Guns N' Roses episode, we, of course, talked about uh, um, James Hetfield's um, vocal tick of, Yeah, yeah! Um, yeah, yeah! Yeah, Bob Dylan's was, uh, Oh, right! Um, hey. Yeah, he does that <laughs> near constantly. Um, and so, I would not be so all alone. All right, and uh, <laughs> we'll go ahead and play into it with a clip. All right.
So the reason I wanted to do uh, these two together is that in addition to being somewhat uh, contemporaries, uh, Bowie, of course, came a little bit after Bob Dylan, but not by much, um, and also being uh, fantastic um, singer-songwriters, um, they were both uh, musical chameleons um, completely. <laughs> um, and we'll, I'll go ahead and uh, let you have first crack on uh, this one on who you like better. Um, I gotta go Bowie. Um, for me, Dylan, I like Dylan, but he's one of the artists that I like in small doses. Yeah. And like, for me, the greatest hits is all I've ever needed from Dylan. I mean, I've, I've gone a little further. I've listened to some albums, but you know, I, 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 there's some Dylan songs that I love passionately. You know, he's got a couple songs that are among my favorites, but a, a lot of them I'm just which, I get tired of listening to them pretty quick. Which ones and are uh, Bowie? Which ones, real quick? Say, which what, ones are your favorites? Um, Story of the Hurricane. Yeah. Um, Ballad of a Thin Man. Yeah. And. I think those are the main ones. Okay, <laughs> I was just curious. Rainy day, rainy day women. Yeah, my my uh, uh, my band used to jam on on occasion, so that's that. You know, we had fun playing that, and I have a lot of just fun, a fun singing that one karaoke, uh, for sure. Of course, that's yeah. a great great fun song. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. But Bowie, um, Bowie was, you know, as as I was growing up, my mom loved. My mom's two favorite artists were Barry Manilow and David Bowie, and my dad's two favorite strange. were. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty odd, <laughs> but uh, I, in a way, you know. <laughs> my dad's two favorites were uh, kind of Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and and David Bowie. Makes so sense. David Bowie was like the inter- intersection for my mom and my mom and dad. That was the one they they both really loved. So you heard a so, lot of David Bowie then. I heard a lot of Bowie, yeah, and I and I love the Bowie, yeah, <laughs> and um, but I'm almost, I'm kind of the same way with Bowie in that there's not a lot of albums that I like from start to finish. I, really, I, I pick and choose um, with the songs, and the songs that I love from him, I I, I love them passionately. Oh but man, I, I, I don't I don't know if there's 
if there's any album that I could pick out as like one of my favorite albums. Wow. You know? Yeah, there's a there's a few Bowie albums that I fucking love. Um I mean the for you know The Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. Uh That's one of them. That's pretty I mean I I love that album from start to finish, I'd say. And and Ziggy and Hunky Dory and that, that early that period right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's I like most of everything well. he did. But but you know when you when looking at the you know throughout, it's mostly you know songs here and there. Hmm. Um, so I just want. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah, Bowie. Yeah. Um, over Dylan. So I just I have to say. Um, in in advance that these are both artists that I just fucking love. Um, like they're two of my very favorites, like ever. You probably um, love them both more than I. I mean, as much probably, as I love Bowie, probably. there is a lot of Bowie that I I don't really listen to a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as I said uh, last week, um, Bob Dylan is uh, my favorite artist of all time. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, in basically every category, excluding, uh, of course, being able to play an instrument with any sort of talent, um, non-harmonica division. And, eh. <laughs> um, he could play the guitar. Eh, he was, he was adequate. Um, yeah. and of course, um, as we've talked about many times, um, you, when it comes to you and lyrics, um, you like lyrics for music that you already like. Um, and then if the lyrics are cool, then that's like so much the better, but the music is the main thing. Bonus, yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm definitely a, a big lyric fan. Um, and of course, uh, for me, I don't think anybody in pop music history ever did lyrics better than, um, Robert Zimmerman. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, Bob Dylan as well. Um, and I guess uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Bob Dylan here. Um, is he, he first? first? All right. He first uh, um, moved to New York after he dropped out of college. Um, he was from this small town in Minnesota called Hibbing. Um, he moved to New York and started his music career basically being uh, um, a Woody Guthrie impersonation. Um, Although, even by his second album, and then certainly by his um, third album, he was already writing songs that were like um, timeless classics, you know, like uh, whatever you think about him, um, like Blowing in the Wind, um, Times Era, Changing, you know. Um, sure. Those songs are still relevant today. Um, yeah, those are good songs. And he, you know, had uh, some kind of like really good um, like protest songs that, uh, you know, uh, as he said, as soon as you write a political protest song, it's dead. Um, which was the case. Um, you have to kind of know a little bit about the sixties to understand some of those songs. Um, and then he put out another side of Bob Dylan, which was him obviously being extremely stoned and are mostly like kind of jokier, half serious, um, songs. And then he evolved. Is that where, uh, is that where Rainy Day Women comes from? Uh, no, that was on uh, that was on the next album, or no, that was on Blonde on Blonde. Um, okay, but uh, he kind of uh, turned into kind of like a mid '60s hipster, um, and he was doing 
shitloads of speed as well as smoking weed because uh, Albert Grossman, his manager, basically um, worked him like a horse. Um, and Didn't he turn the Beatles onto weed? He did. He did indeed. Because yeah. um, he thought uh, that the lyric was, uh, I get high, I get high, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and not I, I get can't high. hide. Yeah. And so the first oh, time... You guys get high too, huh? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the first time the Beatles came to New York, they went to what go see Bob Dylan. What are you talking about, Bob? And uh, they... they Oh, smoke this. Yeah. And he got a, <laughs> He turned them on. Yeah. Um, and, I might uh, have to change my vote just for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, the Beatles for sure would have <laughs> yeah, eventually got into it. They would have found it either way. But yeah, that was, uh, that was 1964. So they got into <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah quicker than they probably would have um and like yeah as i was saying he was like touring relentlessly he was doing all kinds of speed um by all accounts he was a total dick um in fact if you watch uh don't look back that documentary he is indeed a total fucking asshole um although a funny <laughs> one um then of course he uh rather famously went electric um and basically said that his folk music um, thing, because the like early '60s folk people, like they took that shit like really seriously. Um, they thought it was like a political movement, um, and so he basically kind of said that the whole folk thing was a con from the start. Um, and uh, <laughs> went electric, of course, did that famous tour um, that. Uh, the clip that I played is from, that was where he got called Judas. Um, there were, basically what they did uh, is in the first half of the show, it was him with an acoustic guitar, and the audience was very happy um, and loved it. And then for the second half, he came out with the band, um, was his band. Right, the band. Um, and they played a rock and roll set, and the uh, audiences were extremely hostile, although it was... Wasn't was the, the first gig at the... Um newport folk festival it was and he came out it electric yeah like without any without any foreknowledge no one knew he was going to do it correct yep nice. and uh pete seeger allegedly tried to uh cut the pa with an axe <laughs> <laughs> um and it, there's disputed accounts um like yeah. uh one is that the audience were booing um because the sound quality was so poor and then other accounts had it that the audience was hostile but for sure, you can. There's bootlegs from the time on that tour, and they the audience right. was very much hostile. Um, <laughs> but in that, uh, in a two year period, he put out "Bringing It All Back Home," um, "Highway 61 Revisited," and then "Blonde on Blonde" back to back to back, which for me is uh, one of the uh, best three album sequences I, I would say for any artist ever. Um, and then he uh, disappeared. Um, again, there are uh, um, disputed accounts here. Uh, the official story is that he uh, got in a motorcycle accident um, and nearly died, and so he had to recover from that. Um, another theory is that he was a heroin junkie and he was kicking heroin um, my theory is that uh, he'd been touring nonstop, so relentlessly, um, was doing way too much speed, um, and then you'd have to imagine like getting booed every night on tour would take a toll. You know, not just booed, sure. like heckled, ac actively yeah. heckled. Um, 
so in any case, um, he retreated to a house in, uh, uh, Woodstock, New York that the band had rented, um, that they called Big Pink. Um, okay. And while they were there, um, every single day, they would go down to the basement, um, get really high, and then record all these really strange tracks, um, which of course are now known as the basement tapes. Um, and there's actually a really great book about that that I should plug, um, called the invisible Republic by, uh, grill Marcus. So, um, if you guys are into that kind of thing, just check it out. Um, and then, uh, he put out an album, John Wesley Harding, that was completely stripped down. Um, it was not rock. It was, uh, um, kind of folky again with very, um, sparse arrangements. Then he put out a country album, <laughs> uh, released a horrible string of albums, um, after that for a few years, um, put out Were those, the Jesus albums, not yet, not, not quite yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, then he put out blood on the tracks in 1975. Um, that's almost universally regarded by, um, Bob Dylan fans as, uh, arguably his best albums, but certainly one of his best. Um, and then desire yeah, came out that. right after that. That's a really good album, I think. Um, he did a tour with the Rolling Thunder Review. That was really awesome. Um, the bootlegs from that time period are just fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, that's when uh, uh, that's when he converted to uh, Christianity, um, became hardcore born again. Um, he did that for a while. So uh, weird. Then in the 80s, he put out, like, just terrible shit. Um, and then he put out a couple cover albums in the early 90s that were, uh, you know, so-so. Um, and then uh, 1997, he put out Time Out of Mind, which is a real classic. Uh, like, it was an out-of-nowhere, like, complete return to form. Um, right after that, he put out Love and Theft. Um, that's another great album. Um, Modern Times, that came out in 2006. That's a good one. Um, and then I haven't listened to, I think I listened to Together Through Life a few times, and I haven't really listened to, um, any of his recent stuff, but, uh, yeah, basically, like, he has really, really high highs, and then there was a whole long period of just shit, um, which you'd kind of expect, you know, um. However, he has uh, never stopped working. He's been basically on tour um, incessantly, constantly, um, since the 1970s. And I Have you ever seen him? Yeah, I've seen him twice. Um, and the first time was kind of a, like, kind of a countrified sound on everything. Um, mm-hmm. Really good. I've heard you never know what you're going to get at a Bob you, Dylan concert. You do not. <laughs> You do not. Um, and he always has like the best like musicians like that you can get, you know, like professional right. like, um, musicians who are just great at what they do. Um, the first time was more like kind of country or sort of arrangements. I didn't think it was the best. I was really disappointed. Um, and then I saw him in Reno. Um, and part of this, I'm sure, was that, uh, we had some medicinal weed from California, um, that we smoked during the show. Um, but it was fucking amazing. It was one of the best shows right. I've ever seen. They were all 
really heavy blues arrangements. Um, huh. Yeah, all of them. It was super cool. Um, so at least, because I've heard there were some shows where he just it was just basically him playing piano doing completely unrecognizable versions of all of his songs. Yeah, you never know. Like, uh, yeah, and all the arrangements, <laughs> like the arrangements on no song that he played um, at either show sound like the arrangement on the album. Um, right. Yeah, and it you if you listen to Bob Dylan bootlegs um, of his concerts, yeah, like he's just constantly reworking it all the time, um, which that's cool. I mean, you got to respect that. Um, oh yeah, I mean, you can't can't argue with that, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what he's done his whole career, you know? He's constantly reinventing himself, um, doing something different. Um, and I thought this was uh, pretty entertaining. Um, he, of course, uh, was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, was that last year or the year before? Uh, uh, I don't know. Either way. Um, so <laughs> the, committee was try- cool, the committee was trying to get a hold of him for months, <laughs> And, like, he would not return their messages, return their calls. Like, he just ignored it uh, and put them off for, like, months and months and months. And then, finally, uh, he agreed to accept it. And he put out... uh, He did not show up to get it. Um, He put out a recorded... This statement that it's, like, eight minutes long. Um, And in the beginning, he starts talking about uh, what literature means um and whether you could consider pop music to be literature or not and then after about a minute into it uh he just starts kind of like (laughs) this sort of like poetry kind of thing it's uh (laughs) just kind of goes meanders like all over the place doesn't really totally make any sense and then at the end, he circles back and concludes that uh, pop music is not literature. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, and uh, I've also, I've actually read his, uh, his book, Tarantula, um, which is kind of Allen Ginsberg style um, beat poetry. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it sure <laughs> is interesting. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Bob, Bob has inspired some, some great parodies. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, of course. Naturally. Um, it's, I mean, the voice is so, uh, like distinct (laughs) and very much mockable, you know? Um, although I do think that, uh, his singing voice gets unnecessarily bagged on and, uh, also, I've never had any problem understanding the the words that he's singing. Uh, apparently, some people consider it uh, like you can't make out any lyrics, but uh, I've never had that problem. Uh, Everybody must get stoned. I know. All right. And I, I, I guess I should. Uh, I should probably say, like, uh, I'd say my favorite, uh, Dylan album, uh, is probably, uh, bringing it all back home. Um, Gates of Eden's on that one. Uh, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding is on that one. Um, like, that's great. Uh, 
and probably after that, I'd go Blonde on Blonde. That's a, and again, that's another double album. Um, and, uh, I think that that warranted a double album. So, um, and then of course, like a Rolling Stone, for me, I, I understand this is not a universal sentiment, but for me, like a Rolling Stone is, uh, the best pop song, um, that's been made so far. Um, although I really like, uh, I also really like Blood on the Tracks, um, and so I suppose, um, that's about all I have to say about Bob Dylan. Um, like I said, he's my favorite artist of all time. Um, some of his albums are among the best albums ever made, and some of the songs I think he wrote are some of the best songs ever written. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a pretty widely held opinion. I mean, Bob Dylan definitely inspires a lot of uh, passion in his fan base, which I guess is, you know, the the part that it, I, it just never hit me like that, right. you know, I, I don't, I don't get it like that, I guess. Yeah, and it, I mean, I, his, uh, I think he was, he's also underrated as a um, songwriter, um, obviously not lyrically, he's basically universally held up as the best um, lyrical songwriter of all time, but um, I think he writes better songs than I think he's usually given credit for. Um, like, some of those songs just really hold up, just as a song. Um, but, uh, sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, his fan, his fans are like huge fans of him. Um, and of course critics, um, are basically universal in, uh, their love for Bob Dylan. Um, and he's definitely, of course, got a huge, uh, um, place in pop culture. Um, probably for forever. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting. I wonder Maybe somebody would have come along eventually, but he was kind of the first one um, to write pop songs um, that were kind of about something. Um, right. So in addition to um, turning the Beatles on to weed, he also turned them on to writing songs that were about something. Not, right. Uh, <laughs> I want to hold your hand. <laughs> <laughs> she loves you. Uh, but yeah, I think that's about all I've... Uh, had to say about Bob Dylan, um, unless you have something else you want to add. I the only other thing I was thinking about was just you know some of uh, the famous Dylan covers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been all kinds of fantastic covers. Uh, of course, the Jimi Hendrix one is uh, Hendrix one. Yeah, along the Watchtower, of course, is the most famous one. Um, yeah. In fact, there's a. Uh, um, oh, I guess there are is other stuff I wanted to mention. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw uh, the movie. You probably didn't. Not very many people saw it. Um, shit. And now I'm, uh, I'm blanking on the name. I think I might have to Google it. Uh, I'm not there. Did you ever see that movie? I don't think so. Um, it had uh, Christian Bale. Uh Kate Blanchett, um, Richard Gere, Heath Ledger, and then this little black boy, um, all playing Bob Dylan. Huh. No, <laughs> at like, I don't think I have. <laughs> at like, uh, yeah, at different stages of his, uh, of his career. Um, and, uh, Kate Blanchett 
plays the uh, like mid '60s, um, gone electric, um, strung out on speed. Bob Dylan. Um, that was pretty interesting. Uh, but the uh, the soundtrack um, album for that uh, is just all these different artists doing uh, Bob Dylan covers. Um, and then around the same time, not too long ago, there was, I want to say it was an Amnesty International Benefit album, uh, like a double album that also had like all these different like uh, bands doing uh, Dylan covers, like everything from even like Kesha um, to Bad Religion. Like uh, um, there's, it was really cool um, just hearing his songs all these different times. Um, artists in all these different ways um, so uh, yeah that was pretty cool um, but uh, I suppose we should uh, in the interest of time move it along Bowie. to uh, David Bowie um, Bowie yeah and I, I, I agree with you uh, his first couple are not so great um, although have you ever heard any of the early Davy Jones I haven't Have you? so you've never heard the laughing gnome mm-mm Oh man! <laughs> I need to check that one out. The Laughing Gnome. Yes, yeah, uh, everyone's got to hear it at least once. But okay. that was one oh. that uh, apparently apparently it amused me quite a bit. At, like at like five years old or whatever, because my mom <laughs> played it for me a lot. Gotcha. <laughs> it uh, must have appeased me. It must have calmed me or something. I don't know. <laughs> you dug it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, but I'm with you. Uh, like. That man who sold the world, and then Hunky Dory, and then Ziggy Stardust, like yeah, that that period. Like, those are, those are the ones. Yeah, that had like I mean like all the Mad Men, uh, Life on Mars, uh, yeah, Run and Gun Blues, Quicksand, Moon Age Daydream, like, um, Hang On to Yourself, the... Starman, what's the one I'm Five years. Starman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Suffragette City, yeah, like, there were so many cool songs. Changes. Um, yeah, yeah, Changes. Um, yeah, I love, like, those three albums, I love those albums. Um, yeah, I guess I guess my initial statement was a bit wrong, because I do, I do love those albums yeah. as albums. Yeah, and uh, again, Ziggy Stardust, that was a double album. And yeah. I think that warranted a double album. Uh, and I guess I was kind of thinking of, of everything after that period, is pretty much like a uh, very I, select. I, there's songs I love, like like Ashes to Ashes and uh, stuff like that. Heroes, the, yeah, yeah, heroes, yeah, yeah, the Frip, yeah, like uh, although some of that, like some of that experimental stuff, I didn't really get into that much. Yeah, like critically, like Aladdin, Sane, Diamond Dogs, like Low, Young Americans, like all the critics, like loved all his '70s stuff. Um, and and I, I like several songs from those, yeah. but just not. I I just don't. I haven't made it through the full albums. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, like I think they're good albums. Um, and I like them fine. And there's a lot of songs in there. Um, that were just great. Um, all through that time, but like, yeah, I don't I don't come back to those albums very much. You know. Um. And I think you know what. What what my parents listened to mostly was like uh, Early 70s tapes stuff. my dad made. So it was it was it was wasn't albums. It was just 
just you songs. Know, songs pulled from different albums. Yeah. Yeah. And so that probably why that's probably why. <laughs> yeah, because you associate those songs, liking those songs when yeah. you're a little kid. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but he, he, I, I would say for sure that through the seventies, um, he was making music at a very high output, almost remarkably yeah. so, especially because he got way into coke and heroin in the seventies. So, um, yeah, like didn't have you seen he... those uh, that Dick Cavett interview? Yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> didn't he and Lou Reed go to Berlin together to kick heroin? Think that I think story. so, yeah. Yeah, to Berlin, like the heroin yeah. capital. <laughs> Great idea, guys. <laughs> they succeeded. Uh, uh, yeah. And they made, they both made uh, a bunch of albums during that period. Um, and uh, then, of course, uh, I think 1980s David Bowie can basically be summed up uh, by the Less Dance video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as well as, uh, well, he, he did, uh, he launched, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Did he? Stevie Ray Vaughan played all the guitar on that, on that album, Let's Dance. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, did the tour. I did and not then know from that. there, he, uh, started Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, also so, the, uh, absolutely fucking amazing video of David Bowie and, uh, Mick Jagger covering Dancing in the Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you watched the musicless video for that? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> it's it's Have pretty funny out of context though. Uh well, like, yeah, that's I'll, great. I'll put it this way. Like uh when I read that uh um Mick Jagger's ex wife said that she had caught them in bed together. That did not surprise me, like, at all. <laughs> like, yeah, so? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it checks out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I guess uh, I just remembered uh, another uh, factoid about David Bowie. Um, of course, the uh, 13-year-old girl that uh, Jimmy Page essentially kidnapped um, to become his lover, um, she also went on to have sex with David Bowie when she was underage. So, yeah, and, uh, and Bowie was into some some pretty wild occult shit too. In he the was, 70s. yep, he was. <laughs> <laughs> he had some good stories about shit happening in the swimming pool and stuff. I'll bet, I'll bet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, imagine hanging out with like fucking like David Bowie and like the Rolling Stones in like the fucking seventies. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Sure, there was Let's go take a bunch of drugs of at Alistair Crowley's house. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do blood <laughs> sacrifices, mate. Uh, <laughs> and then, again, uh, with David Bowie, as with uh, Bob Dylan, um, starting in the uh, 90s, um, he had kind of a renaissance. Um, he put some really good albums out. Um like I would say, in particular, ours was really good. Um, reality was really good. Um, his last couple, the next day, and Black Star, those were pretty good. Um, and of course, then uh, recently passed away. Um, so yeah, I, I I love David Bowie, but it's it's mainly concentrated on like those early albums more than anything else. Right. Yeah, I I haven't gotten into any of his 
recent stuff. I mean, I've listened to some of it, and I was like, yeah, that's good, but none of it, you know, I didn't really get super into any of it. Yeah, and it, it's all always, again, like uh, Dylan, like, it's always been very different. Um, yeah. Like, uh, The Man Who Sold the World and, and Hunky Dory, those kind of sound similar, but then right after that right. was Ziggy Stardust, and that's, like, right. <laughs> totally different. Um and then Aladdin Sane was different from that. Diamond Dogs was different from that. Um, he even did the unfortunate, like, kind of dance hall kind of stuff in the 80s. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Blue Jay. Yeah. So he never, he never really repeated himself, um, which that's definitely uh, um, admirable. Uh, like, that's part of one of the reasons we like Radiohead so much. Um that they do constantly. You know, but I don't I don't change. mind when bands just release the same album over and over either though. I'm I'm cool with that too. Yeah, for if me I like it them, depends. You know? Okay, I think it if they're really good, I'm okay with it, but uh <laughs> if I'm not too keen on them, they all kind of start to sound a little bit samey and I get bored. Um True. But you know, it just depends. Um So uh yeah, and I think uh yeah, I think that's all about all I have to say about David Bowie. Really liking them. Uh, oh yeah, you I have was to mention, mention the classic um Oh well, what do you have to mention? I was gonna mention uh I, I don't even know what it was from. I just saw it somewhere like contextless. Uh he was on T V uh for like a Christmas something, um, with Bing Crosby. Um <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is cool enough that I'm, I'm going to put the link in the description because it's, it's weird, 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 weird. <laughs> the Bowie, yeah. Yeah, Bowie Little and Drummer Crosby. Boy. Um, I think it, they, they do some Christmas song. I don't remember which one. I think it's Little Drummer Boy. Dr- Little Drummer Boy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, what were you going <laughs> to mention, though? Oh, the classic um, Fly to the Concords bit. I don't think I'm Bowie to Bowie. Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. Oh, man. That's good shit. It says Bowie to Bowie. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Oh, I guess uh, we should talk about... Um, he was an actor, too. Um, oh, yeah, Labyrinth. Yeah, Labyrinth, <laughs> um, starring David Bowie and uh, yeah. David Bowie's large I'm penis. A... <laughs> <laughs> um he was at a, he was in the last temptation of christ as pontius well, well, pilate i thought i thought man that fell to earth was where he was naked no just in, in labyrinth because he was wearing like the tights all the time like, oh, you okay, could totally okay. like yeah totally. it's distracting <laughs> in fact at times um <laughs> and uh i don't know if you saw the the prestige chris nolan no. movie about magicians um no. In fact, that's my uh, that's actually my favorite uh, Christopher Nolan movie. I'd say even over like The Dark Knight um, or Inception or whatever, um, he plays uh, Nikola Tesla in it. And he, oh, cool! Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, he was in Zoolander. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he was he was a pretty good actor, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. He didn't do it all that often, but he was good. Um, Bob Dylan also, uh, quote unquote, acted in a couple things. Uh, 
He, on the other hand, was not a good actor. Um, what was he in? Uh, he was in uh, Pat Garrity and Billy the Kid. Um, let's see, I have his Wikipedia. Wonder if I have his film. Let me Google that for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to Google it. I know he was in a, a couple things beyond just Pat Garrity and Billy the Kid. I'm just trying to think if I recalled hearing about Bob Dylan and anything. Okay, and for some reason right now, IMDb does not want to come up. He should have there been in like Cannonball Run or something. He should have. Um, <laughs> let's see. He was in, uh, as I said, uh, Pat Garrity and Billy the Kid. Um, a movie in 1978 called Ronaldo and Clara, which I have not Ronaldo. seen. I did see Pat Garrity and Billy the Kid, and he was not that good. Uh, <laughs> he was in a 1987 film called Hearts of Fire. Um, hmm. A 1999 movie called Paradise Cove, and a 2003 film called Mast and Anonymous. So sounds like he's like on the Gene Simmons level of acting. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is not good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> although he was pretty good um, playing himself in uh, Don't Look Back. Um, because yeah. he was uh, very obviously giving a performance in that movie. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, unless you have anything else you want to say, I think we've uh, just about covered it. We're I don't think time, either so. of us has changed our minds. No, no. I'm still still Dylan. Still love Bowie, though. So it's not a, a knock yeah. against David Bowie at all. Right. Um. I like, uh, yeah, I, I have to still have to take Bowie, so. All right. Um, so I guess that does it for this week. Um, preliminarily, um, on a preliminary basis, we do have a, a guest for next week um, where we'll be discussing NWA and uh, Public Enemy, which is quite different uh, from our usual type of music we cover yeah boy <laughs> it's the flave homes flavor flave <laughs> so uh until next week have a good one everybody later